welcome to the MWC podcast. Thank you for listening. It was just last week I was talking to Tiffany, my wife, about how I would just love, I would treasure the opportunity to sit down with either former President Barack Obama or former President George W. Bush, um, just now that they've finished their terms and they're, they got the, the presidency behind them, I would love, love the chance to sit down with them one-on-one and just debrief, like hear about the inside scoop, like, you know, no reporters, no, you know, nothing on the books and just like, all right, so tell me about, you know, living in the White House and what's it like being on call probably 24 hours a day and, and all that, just get the inside scoop. So if any of you guys have connections, like you know, I'm looking for it, but um, no, and I don't expect it, but it just wouldn't that be such a neat opportunity. And then I, I said this to her and it was, I was like, you know, right now, this was like right after President Trump was sworn in. And I was like, I don't think I'd want to meet with the guy at this point, purely because I think that this guy, if I had the opportunity to sit down with President Trump, I would say, no, let's postpone. Let's, let's give it eight years. You know what I mean? Because I just think this guy's got so much on his plate. Like, I would just feel bad imposing myself. Like, I, I'd be sitting there, and if we were sitting down, he'd, you guys ready for a good Trump impersonation? I just, I don't have one. I don't have one. But you can imagine what the guy sounds like. I don't have one. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'll, I'll spare you. <laughs> but, you know, he's talking, you know, we would be chit-chatting, and I would just be like, man, I'm taking up so much. There's so many people want a piece of him right now. Everybody wants, you know, and he's got all this work to, to establish all these, you know, his cabinet and all this stuff and, and to make, make his promises come true from the campaign trail. And um, so... It had me thinking, like, that would make me uncomfortable. But the people that do have an audience with President Trump or, or any president, when they are the current president throughout history, anybody who has been the president, these people that do have an audience with him, who do have every once in a while some one-on-one attention from him, like, you think about the credentials that these individuals would have to have. I mean, these folks would have to have spent their life in Washington just working, working, maybe in school doing political studies or, or um, they interned for all these various positions and they've been working their way up the ladder and, and maybe they're not in the politics game but maybe they get called on by the president and so they just have that level of expertise in their field, right? They have that high tier of, of, of understanding in this one realm, and so the president calls on them. And I was just thinking, like, to put it simply, you really have to earn your way into deserving a meeting with the president of the United States. It really is, like, quite an accomplishment. And as we turn, and we've been studying prayer over these past few weeks, it's just striking to me. And as I've been digging into the the passage that I'm bringing this morning, the exact opposite, the complete antithesis of this is how it works for us when we want or desire to receive an audience with God. The exact opposite. For us, to meet with the creator of all things, all we have to do is speak. And he listens. And... This is just like, you know, it's staggering, right? Like to, to think about this. And I, I love the president, any president, you know, honor them, put them, you know, and respect them. But God is infinitely 
greater and, and infinitely just, uh, you know, higher and, and the, his status, right? And, and we, with him, we don't have to work on ourselves. We don't have to strive for, to gain personal righteousness or, or holiness of any kind. There won't be a point where we finally arrive where we will be deserving of his notice, where all of a sudden our prayers start to count, right? They start to matter. All we have to do is speak, and we have his undivided attention. Isn't that just crazy, that juxtaposition of how that works, how man's kingdom works, and how God's kingdom works? Just, it's just crazy to me. Um, not that the president shouldn't protect himself, obviously. You know, I'm not like, hey, one-on-one meeting? Come on. Um, this is week five. This is our final week of talking about the perfect prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us by the way he taught us of how to pray. And, and so we're, we're going to be building in, building on this. And what we've been studying is essentially building a pyramid of prayer, of starting with a foundation and starting with this base, which is so important. And I'm so glad we've been talking about this. Um, it's just so formative. You work from the bottom up. And we actually have an image of this pyramid, if you want to show it at this time. It's, it's um, if we didn't have instruction or guidance from the Bible, I think that, if, you know, this outline for our prayer in this pyramid comes from Jesus himself. And I think if we didn't have this, I mean, I know for me at least, like, it would be easy to treat God like a genie in a lamp, right? We would be saying, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I wish for this, I wish for that. And and it would be just really easy to avoid this, a pyramid of, of building a foundation of first talking about our Father who is in heaven and how holy you are. We're just talking about how good he is, not for anything he's even done, but just because of his character and, and how, how holy he is. And then we build on that. We're confessing his kingdom. It's his kingdom we want to see built, not our own. Not our own business, not our own family name that we want to see built up. We want to see his kingdom built here on earth. And we want to see his will for our lives and for our church and for our organizations, not our own. And I think without the Lord's Prayer and without this, this foundation that we see of building from the bottom up, I think we'd start and end all of our prayers with, God, give me comfort. Give me comfort. Help me win the lottery. You know, like just stuff like that. And, and the prayers wouldn't be helping us grow. And they wouldn't help us with our worship of him. And they wouldn't help us with our humility and our confession. But rather they'd like reinforce our selfishness, you know, and like, God, I really want this video game. I really do. And give me extra time off so I can go just take a week and play this video game. Stuff like that. I don't, I don't know where that would come from. I don't know anybody who would say something like that. <laughs> um, you know, we, if, we, if we prayed like God was a genie, we, we would, we'd be reinforcing selfishness and then ultimately just disappointed right? Because that's not how it works. Like, we'd be let down. Like, that's just not how this is. So we've been building this pyramid, working our way up. And we are in the final, we're at the tip top this week, the peak of the pyramid. Um, let's read the whole prayer together first. And I want to read from Matthew, I wanna, we're going to read this prayer from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. And just for your reference, This is the only passage that I'm going to use the ESV version of the Bible today. This one's close to the one that I've memorized 
Um, we're going to read a different version of the Bible for the rest of today. But uh, this is the ESV version. But would you guys say this prayer with me? Can we say this together? Let's read it. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen, right? Amen. That's good stuff. That's powerful. That's like you get the, you get the goosebumps on you on that one. So that's the ESV version. And what we are digging into is verse 13 of this section, the very last, to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For the rest of this morning, I'm reading from New Living Translation. It's just what I'm used to. It's what I used to teach the youth group when I did a lot more speaking than I do now. And um, this is says, uh, so we have, do not lead us into temptation, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, period. And then the New Living Translation is, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one, period. So you have a couple, there's a couple little twists there, and I want to dig into that, because, you know, which version is better? Which version is, is more holy? What is, that's a, that's a tricky, a tricky question. So, I want to dig in. Um, in many translations, or many ways that we've memorized this, we see these phrases, bring us not into temptation, and lead us not into temptation. And when we read that phrase, like bring us or lead us, I guess I've read that there's been some people that have been bothered by that over the years, and the phrasing, like how does this work? And it, some people feel like it presents God as being an active source and putting us into situations where we might be tempted. Like, if we didn't pray that, like, he might be putting us in situations where we're going to be tempted. And, and, and so I think that if we start to go down that path, we can have that notion corrected by looking at James. James, chapter 1, verse 13, it reminds us that when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Okay, so that starts to clear it up a little bit. Another situation where we see Jesus speaking about prayer and temptation at the same point is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is speaking to Peter, James, and John. And this is in Luke 22, verse 40. And, and this says, here he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. So there's a little bit more like pray, pray for that, that you will not give in to temptation. And um, what we see from these two supporting scriptures is that it would be appropriate to, to pray along the lines of, you know, whether it's not like lead us not or, or bring us not, but do not allow us to be led into temptation by other things, by all the other things. Do not allow us all the things that would lead us to temptation. Don't let that happen. One more supporting scripture where we're talking about God's role in temptation is, is this. It's 1 Corinthians 10 verses 13. And it says that the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. 
I know this and I've heard this before, but sometimes I forget it. You know what I mean? Like, like, oh, I couldn't, I just couldn't help myself. Like, how could I avoid being selfish and, and, and sin in this way, God? Like, I could, I didn't have a way out. And then I'm like reminded, oh yeah, 1 Corinthians 10. It's like, he will not allow temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So really, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, it's really a confession of weakness by us, the prayers. We're not saying, God, stop tempting, stop tempting us, but rather we're saying, Lord, we are weak and we are fickle. We're like the Israelites from the Old Testament, right? Like, we love you, Jesus. We, we don't love you, or, well, God, right? Like, we love you, Yahweh, and they're like, no, we don't love you, Yahweh. We love this other God. We love you, God, and it's like back and forth, and it's like, come on, Israelites, until you realize... That's just like you and me in our lives. Like we're fickle. We're, we're tempted by all the things around us. And, and so what we're saying is not God stop tempting us, but help us, save us from ourselves. You know, save us, save us from these surroundings and, and, and keep us from being tempted, right? So we have that first line, temptation. We, we, get, we got that kind of zeroed in. And now we have the second line, to, but to deliver us from evil, period, or deliver us from the evil one which is kind of two different things, right? Which is kind of tricky. And so let's talk about this. Which one is it? According to the original text, it really could be either. It really is kind of a broad enough statement. And that's why we see that in different versions, I mean, some of you guys have your preferences. And I spoke with a man, very intelligent man last night, and he was, you know, King James Version. That's like the only way. That's the only one. He's done his research, and that's his only way to read. I personally, I like to look at four different versions. Like, I, I don't get through a lot of scripture that way, but I love the Bible app because I'm like, New Living Translation, the message to throw, just throw something kind of new in there for me. New Living, King James, you know, um, the New American Standard. I, I like checking out the spectrum and kind of just seeing what, what this all is. And, and these versions, you know, it's not, I, I would argue that it's not one wrong or, you know, one's right or wrong, um, that we've read, you know, the ESV and the NLT, but if you, if you really want to dig into this question um, of the evil or versus the evil one, you know, you, I encourage you to check out something like the Pillar New Testament Bible Commentary. I read that. It does a really good job of arguing for either, but most of the, almost every commentary I saw is, it's broad enough to be either. And technically, one even brings up, this is, there's a third option. When we talk about, you know, deliver us from evil, it could, the evil one, it could be referring not just to the devil as the evil one, but any man who has an ill will towards you, anybody who wishes evil on you, they could be the evil one. So there's like a third option, like evil, evil one devil, evil one who's like another human being, you know? And, and so it's a kind of a broad thing. The consensus is, you know, from flipping through a bunch of different commentaries is that, that taking this expression either way makes good sense. They, they just, they go hand in hand, you know? And, and one is just a little more broad than the other. And, and so it sounds... I've explained to you. It's like I went down a rabbit trail. Like, I was digging into some of this stuff, and I'm like, I'm not going to bore these guys with the answer, because the answer is, I mean, with the, the route I went, because the answer is, it really could be e either. And, um, and, and I don't want to, you know, put down one translation versus the other. So, so the, 
the, the thought that I have, and, and in different situations, right, we're tempted by evil and as abroad, and there's times where we as Christians believe in, in the fact that there is an opposing force to God. There is an evil one. There is a Satan, and, and so we, there's times for both to be applicable. Um, the one thing that I've learned over these past couple of weeks while we've been doing this study is that, you know, these two phrases in the Lord's Prayer, they work better together, just like the prayer works. I mean, it just made, it works better together. And, and so, you know, if, if I could propose maybe a simplified way, a way of summing up these last two lines of this prayer, it's, it's kind of saying, like a way of re-saying it is like, Father, we pray for protection from ourselves and from evil. We simply, we pray for, you know, when we like lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, like we pray for protection from ourselves and from the evil around us whether it's the evil one or evil in, in general. Um, so we, we have that little phrase. We've talked about it. We've dug into the commentaries. The, the one other thing I want to um, point out is that maybe a lot of you have heard this extra addition to this, this prayer. Um, they finish the prayer, deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And you hear this prayed at the end of the Lord's Prayer, and maybe you do that. Maybe that's something that you have had memorized, and so you pray that yourself. So, you know, reading about that and studying, the, this doxology, this little phrase, it does not appear in most ancient manuscripts, and it does, doesn't appear in Luke's version of this very same prayer. We're reading from Matthew 6 and Luke 11, 2 through 4. It has the same prayer, right? And this leads scholars to conclude that this was not... This, this phrase is not in the original text. It's possible that the early church, it came about when they were using this prayer, they have made of just added this closing sentence of praise, and that's fine. There's by no means, this is not a heretical thing to say. For you to say, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, that's totally fine. That's not like it's totally wrong. It's not a no-no, but it's just not part of the original text, and that's why we haven't included it in this prayer that Jesus taught us. He, he didn't teach us that part, so we're not digging in and dissecting that, okay? So, so that's that little section. So we, we, we're finished. We, we did this. We're through the Lord's Prayer. We've talked about it. But I have a story for you to, because I want to I I analyze this a little bit more. Rosie Adair is my middle child, and she's two and a half years old, and she's the coolest. I mean, like that age is so much fun. And we call her Rosie the Rhino because there's times when she's so ornery and rough and tumble and tackles her sister. And then there's times where she's like in princess dresses, like, you know, dancing around and things. And um, in, in this illustration I proposed to you, um, this fictional situation, uh, Rosie is playing with a toy crown, which is not at all fictional. This happens all the time. We have so many plastic toy crowns around our house. I can't explain to you, like crowns with fake jewels, plastic jewels that fall out, or crowns that are spray painted to, you know, look away, or crowns with fake ponytails on the back so they can have long Elsa hair and, and things or braids and stuff. And um, lots, so in this scenario, she's playing with the toy crown. Again, not uncommon. But the toy crown breaks which again is not uncommon. They always break. I'm gonna let you guys know this. If you buy a plastic toy crown, they always break and they're most likely to break under your bare feet in the middle of the night while you get up to 
to go get a drink of water or something, and you have like plastic shards dug into the bottom of your feet, and you broke your daughter's favorite crown. All, they always break. I've used, I've invested in so much glue and tape for these crowns. And now my girls are, don't tell them that they're not, they're ugly looking crowns with duct tape on them, but they're still wearing them like they're the most beautiful thing because we've fixed so many crowns. And um, so in this scenario, Rosie breaks her crown and she's frustrated about this and most of all sad. And, and her eyes fill with tears like with an ease that only a two-year-old can pull off. Like she, you're just like running down her cheeks and you're just waiting for you know, the, the sob. And, and let's say seconds later, after her toy crown breaks, I receive incredible news on the phone that some distant great-great-uncle that she met just a few years ago or, or just a few months ago is just smitten with Rosie, which anybody would be who just meets her. And so they name her as the sole heiress of their will. And this estate is an upwards of millions of dollars, $5 million that she's going to receive someday. And so I get off the phone and I'm like, Rosie, guess what? You are going to receive $5 million someday. Guess what her reaction is going to be? Still sad about the crown. I'm like, I don't care about that. I don't care about in this situation if there is. And, and she still just doesn't not have the emotional maturity, the mental capacity to understand these circumstances. She doesn't have the perspective that we have. She's simply not capable. She's still sad about her crown. Don't worry, dad, we'll fix it. In this, I know you're all like, oh, poor Rosie, but she, dad will fix it. But in this story that I'm sharing, isn't that just like us with God? Like just don't have the mental capacity or the perspective that God has so that when we break our toy and we're just a mess over it, like isn't God simply beyond our comprehension? Isaiah chapter 55 verses eight through nine says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. There will be times when we're praying, and it just seems like he's not answering, or, or maybe he's just not answering immediately. And I think it's really important for us to remember that when we're asking him for him to fix our broken toys, that there's times where he's reminding us that there's an inheritance waiting for us, and, and he's got a real crown waiting for us, right? And there's times we're just too close to our, our personal issue. We're, we're, we're shattered over our broken toy crown or our broken toy truck, you know, in our, in our lives. You know, and it seems like it's a huge issue when we're face-to-face -face with it in that moment. But when you have that perspective and you step back, his ways are higher, and he's got a plan. That's why we pray for his will to come, right? I say all of this for you because if you pray for temptation to be gone in your life and if you pray to be free from evil but then find yourself tempted a couple days down the line or you find yourself exposed to hate or some sort of evil in the near future, it's not because God wasn't listening to your prayers. It's not because you didn't pray hard enough. It's not, it's not because you're not holy enough. It's because his ways are higher. And we, we currently, we just don't have the perspective 
that we will have someday in the future. You know, like when we read this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, like we read earlier, you know, he does give us a way out of temptation and he does do this, but it sometimes it's, our prayer is, is a matter of it, sometimes God works and he does that miracle by changing our perspective versus our circumstances. And when I can, you know, someday when the girls realize that these toy crowns cost two cents to make and that's why mom and dad throw them out and, you know, they're not really a treasure, you know, it's, it's the same as someday we will see that we will have God's perspective, looking back or looking down or hindsight or whatever it is when we're, we're looking down on, on where we were and um, his ways are higher. So what we're gonna do right now is practice praying because it doesn't make sense to me to do a five-week series on prayer and never create a margin for us to actually pray. Like, I didn't want to get to noon and then say, okay, let's all pray, you know, because you guys are like, um, you know, the, we, we're, we got plans, we scheduled our day around this, you know, and, and um, but I, I wanted to, I intentionally, I built this in. I tried to make this, it's hard making the message short. You guys have no idea. You dig in and you do all this research and you study, and then you got to like, like cut all of this out and throw this out, I guess, you know, and it's hard, but I, we, we really wanted, you know, from the leadership stance here, we wanted to create a margin for you guys to have a moment to pray and to pray the Lord's Prayer, and I thought that'd be powerful to do that, you know, even as, as individuals in our seats, but as a church, unified, and, and, um, we're going to read through these lines and expand on these principles of how we've learned to pray in these past few weeks, and, you know, this isn't an extracurricular thing. We're not dismissing at this point, you know, and, and we're gonna get you out of here on time. I know a lot of you have kids that you gotta get home for lunch and nap. Some of you guys have Super Bowl pre-show to watch, right? You gotta go start baking all your Super Bowl snacks for this, this national holiday that we have. It's an international holiday, actually, Didn't if you didn't know, it really is. That could, I lived in Ireland for a year. I couldn't believe how much interest they had in our Super Bowl. They don't even like football, but the Super Bowl, they all, they all stayed up really late to watch it, so. Um, we're going to pray, and I have no intention of wearing you out. If you're still new to this prayer thing, like, we're not going to make this a marathon or anything like that. We have a prayer outline, the perfect prayer outline to follow, and so we're going to just walk through it. Jesus told us this is how you pray, and we're going to do it. So I'm going to invite the band forward, but before I release you to actually start praying, I just wanted to give you one last illustration that might, if it, if it helps you, it helps. If not, you know, forget it, but Tim Keller is, um, he's a, a theologian and, and an author, and um, he's just like a, a monster, like he releases books all the time, like when do you, he's a pastor in New York, and he's like, when do you have time to write these books, and um, he's, uh, he wrote this really great analogy, um, or just pointed this out, that, that answering, like an answered prayer is like the light bulb coming on. It's like the, the light bulb getting that power is like an answered prayer. And in this analogy, we are the light switch, right? A light switch, if you've ever installed one, the light switch has no power in and of itself. It doesn't do anything. It goes into the wall. There's no power in it. You put it in the wall. You hook it up to the wires, the power source. And, and we are the light switch. And God is the power source. So we, we're the switch. And, and just like in your homes, you, 
in your place of home right now, the lights are all off, right? Unless your kid's left to mind while you're running out the door. But the, the, there is power there waiting to turn on your light bulbs. There's power ready and waiting. And all you have to do is throw on the switch. And that's what prayer is for us. If we are the switch, when we pray, we're just turning it on. We're throwing that switch. And, and when we actually just take a moment to pray, we're turning on that switch and God is ready and waiting to flow through us. To, he, he is ready and waiting to supply answers, to do miracles, to intervene and provide the power to power that bulb. And all you have to do to throw the switch is lift your voice. That's all you have to do. And have a little faith. In Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, you know, if there's anyone in, the, in here who's, who's doubting or just... I don't know if God really is going to listen or, you know what I mean? Or I've tried to pray and I just feel like it's not happening. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8 says, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So when you ask for God for something, you know, we just went through this whole thing. We're going to build our foundation, right? Like, this is, prayer isn't all about asking. You've got to build your, you're like, God, you're holy, you're worthy, you're, you're beautiful, and your will and your plan. But at some point, you've got you to gotta ask. Like, God, I'm torn up. I'm, I need this. Or my family needs this. There will be times when you need to ask. You ask for your daily bread, for his provision. And, and when you do that, Remember to ask with confidence and hope because there was a long time I didn't. I didn't ask with confidence because I was worried about wording it just right or, or saying something that was in his will. Like, am I going to say the wrong thing? So when you ask for him, from, ask for help from him. Ask with confidence and don't be afraid that you will ask for the wrong thing because of course you will. Of course you're going to ask for the wrong thing. We all do. That's just how it is. But God tempers the outcome with his wisdom and his grace. He'll, he'll make it all right. All you have to do is ask. He's going to provide the right answer. You don't have to worry about that. If you pray, you will get many answers to your prayers. But for the answers that you don't receive, or maybe the answers that you don't want, that's when we continue to pray to ask for God to enable us to rest in his will and his plan. That it's, Father, it's your will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. It's your will, Father. Father.